right. So uh, we've been going at this Radical Jesus series for four weeks now. This is the fifth week. So uh, we've been engaging with these difficult topics, things that seem pretty pertinent, timely for our culture uh, right now in 21st century America, especially. So, so far we've hit uh, age of the earth. That one was kind of, we could have done more with that. It was more like in the intro. I would have enjoyed a little bit more on that one personally, because I'm a science guy. So we did that one. We did vaccines, refugees. Last week was women in the church. And then uh, this week is going to be money and possessions. So, uh, hey, we're fighting each other back there. I got the clicker, so all is well. So uh, money and possessions today. So uh, for everyone on these topics, my guess is that there's varying levels of heat that we feel on each of these, especially if you've been here with us. Some may have felt more heat on some, less on others. Maybe vaccines was pretty high for you, but women in the church wasn't that big of a deal, sometimes vice versa. I'm curious how today's topic of money, possessions, and the way of Jesus is gonna feel to you. I wonder if it's gonna feel high heat, low heat. Is it just gonna kind of bounce, another sermon to sit through? I'm curious. So my hope is that uh, there would be, pretty much with any good uh, teaching, Jesus did this, hope any good sermon does this, is to disrupt and entice. There's a disruption of, of something and then an enticement with something that's better. So that's my hope uh, today, not just for me, but that the Spirit would be doing that with all of us. Before we go any further, though, I think there's some noise in the room we have to address with this topic specifically. And I think the two main uh, sources of noise, sources of distraction, difficulties to engage with this topic in church come from cynicism and consumerism. So we're going to just hit both of those real briefly as we start. So cynicism, let's see, which side is that for you? Well, it's basically one or the other. Cynicism, the basic idea that I've got to look out for myself and that the man, people in authority are trying to get me down and I shouldn't trust them. So cynicism, cynicism runs rampant in our culture, but also with this topic of money in the church, right? I think it's pretty common for a lot of folks, maybe even especially if you grew up in church or even if you didn't, to come into church and you're kind of bracing yourself for the 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 fleecing of the flock, for the pastor to stand up and talk about giving and pass the plate just so that he can get more money for himself or his church or his jet, right? There is definitely some of that going on. So there's some reasons for that specific noise. There's a source for that one. The the so-called health and wealth gospel, the prosperity gospel. There's a bunch of TV preachers that seem to be, I'm gonna say spiritually abusing people essentially saying, send me your money so that God will bless you. Oh man, and then they're flying around in a jet. Something feels off. That's definitely what we're doing here at Tallgrass and the well, right? We got the jet going on. Man, I missed out on that one. There's no jet here. So that's the the cynicism, consumerism. So consumerism, we got two uh, words that start with C and end in ism. Consumerism, the basic idea that I am here to get what's fun for me. I am a consumer of things in life, and I'm trying to get the best thing for me at the lowest price. That's consumerism. I'm here to consume things to make me happy. And so, again, that one works well at Target, but not so well in the church. But we bring it in. I promise we bring this in. The basic idea that bigger is better. Uh, when you're church shopping, you're looking probably for who's got the best programs, the best band, the best budget, uh, the best preaching. You're, you're looking, maybe even unconsciously, to get with a church that has the lowest cost to you with the best reward, the best program, the best whatever. 
And uh, my, we might even view when the, when the plate is passed, like I got to pay to play. I'm putting in my, uh, my membership dues, but I'm, if there's another church that offers lower dues and better program, maybe I'm going to get there. So consumerism and cynicism are noise in the room this morning as we begin to talk about money and possessions in the church. So I think we just need to recognize those. The noise is there. For some, uh, it might be more like a, a, a soft background noise, easily identifiable, maybe it's the air conditioner. We can kind of tune it out. And for others, this topic is like a blaring alarm, a klaxon that is all you can hear, right? And so as we identify these things today, uh, we don't necessarily have to solve them as we start, but we need to identify them to understand. So uh, I'm gonna just ask you, you don't have to say this one out loud, What's the noise in the room like for you this morning on money? Is one of these kind of a little bit louder than the other? Does it feel a little bit background or is it kind of like, what's it like for you? So the, the, the thing that I, I uh, well, we've been, we've been uh, doing a Bible verse each week with this sermon series. We've been standing up together and kind of learning this, this one as a, as a church family. So hopefully it's becoming very familiar. But as we stand up here in a second and, and read this one, I want you to invite you to use this as even kind of like a prayer for yourself as you engage this morning, uh, for God to speak his timeless word to you in the midst of all these distractions. So that's kind of how we're gonna engage with this one. So will you stand with me? We're just gonna read it from the, the screen. If you haven't been with us, it's gonna be real easy. But this is our memory verse for this one. See how much you remember, Isaiah 40, verse eight. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God, I was taking you out there, stands forever, that's right. Didn't get my cadence quite right on that one. All right, you can sit down. So our great trust, and, and Jesus, I'll even pray this right now. Our great hope and trust is that with all these difficult topics and no less the money one that we don't just have human voices to sift through, human perspectives, but the God of the universe has spoken to us through his word that transcends everything. And so I thank you for that. Lord, speak to us this morning on this topic. Disrupt us and entice us to something good. Amen. Are you all ready? We got all the distractions at least identified. Money, possessions, and the way of Jesus. That's where we're at this morning. So... Jesus talked a lot about money, maybe more than you might realize. So uh, when, uh, in, in the recorded scriptures, 11 out of Jesus's 30 parables deal with money. That's a lot, high percentage. One out of every seven verses in the Bible where Jesus is speaking, he's talking about money. Did you know that at least in the number of recorded uh, verses in the Bible, Jesus talked more about money than he did heaven and hell combined. He's got a lot to say to us about this topic. And so uh, we can't cover it all this morning, but we're gonna hit a representative sample of what Jesus says to us about money and possessions, uh, his timeless word on this topic. So let's start with perhaps what might be the clearest verse on this topic. Maybe one you've even heard before, Acts 20, verse 35. Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Raise your hand, have you ever heard that before, even if you didn't grow up in church? Yeah, it's a pretty common one. Did you know what that the verse blessed is not primarily some religious ritual word? You know what blessed means? Blessed means happy. 
And Jesus meant it that way. Not just like a passing happiness, but the deep happiness, the joy, the real good life. It is more happy to give than to receive, says Jesus. Does that feel right? I mean, try to be really honest with yourself. Does that feel right? I mean, I, I grew, I've grown up in church. I've been in church a long time. So I know the church answer. I, it, it's not hard for me when I'm engaging with God's word or in the church to check that box. Yeah, that feels right. I would get the answer right on the Christian test every day. But does it actually feel right in your soul? Does that, is that the way you live practically? I think it's difficult I think it's another thing entirely to live that thing out. It's hard to trust Jesus here, even for seasoned Christians. And so if that's you this morning, if you're recognizing, I actually have some resistance on this topic when Jesus says it's happier to give than to receive, I think that's pretty normal. And uh, so John Wesley, uh, back in the 1700s, this uh, a famous preacher and evangelist, one that uh, actually the Wesleyan denomination that the well is affiliated with uh, draws from and comes from. John Wesley's famously said, the last thing, the final thing to be converted to the way of Jesus is usually a man's wallet. The final thing to be converted is a man's wallet. Probably a woman's purse too. And I don't know if that's exactly right. Maybe it's just a little bit uh, tongue in cheek or something like that. But I think there's something there. It's kind of the final frontier of the Christian life is giving and really trusting God here. So even just this simple one, Jesus's financial ethic runs slap in the face of the American dream. So the American dream is essentially, if I work hard and I'll earn enough, I'll be able to save enough, I can send my kids to college so they can have a better life than I did, then I can retire as early as I can so that I can go somewhere warm and enjoy my life. I can go somewhere and play golf, pick up shells in the evening, and live the good life. Like, that's kind of the American dream. You can put your own spin on it. Maybe you're backpacking, something, I don't know. But the American dream essentially says, very different from this. Jesus' words fly in the face of the American dream. And so against the American dream, I propose Jesus' words sound crazy. Feels like he's out of touch. Because... Is it happier actually to get than to give? Well, it seems like it's happier to get, right? Is it happier, is it more fun? Does it make you happier to get the new iPhone, 13 Pro with all the cameras, or to give that money away to someone else? There's a church answer, but what about the real one? Is it happier to get a birthday card full of cash or to give someone else a birthday card full of cash? Is it happier to get that raise or to give more to the church? I mean, you get the idea here. My kids get it, so I, I won't say which one, but uh, this week, uh, one of my sons came home and this was his, uh, one of his worksheets from school. I just thought, like, he gets it. Even from a young age, he's totally getting this. I feel happy when I get a new thing from the store and I feel sad when I don't get to buy something new from the store. Like, he gets it from a young age. This is in the air we breathe. It's in the air we breathe. And it doesn't just stop there, it keeps going. So um, uh, when I was in college, there was, I had a friend named Justin Ostrander. He was amazing at guitar. He ended up making it in Nashville and he plays electric on a lot of folks' albums. Uh, a song he played electric on a number of years ago, I feel like uh, it gets at this pretty well. Maybe you know this one. So the, the last line of the first verse says, uh, you know, they, uh, everybody says money can't buy happiness, but... It can buy me a, somebody knows, it can buy me a boat. It can buy me a 
truck to pull. You're right, Chris Jansen. Man, that song is so catchy. It could even buy me a Yeti 110 ice down with some silver bullets. Yeah, is he, is he, is he fighting werewolves? Probably not. Different kind of silver bullets. So his breakout hit, I think, is actually pretty insightful. It captures the American dream and our revolt inside against Jesus's words. It actually, money can buy happiness, right? What can money buy that makes you happy? Paramount Plus subscription, so you can watch Star Trek Lower Decks. That one's one for me. What can money buy that makes you happy? And against Jesus's words, uh, uh, or against this, Jesus's words seem pretty out of touch, I think. Uh, and that's why for many of us, following Jesus's teaching is actually uh, feels wrong. Like giving more actually feels like the path of risk and ruin, sadness, suffering, foolishness, right? If you give too much, man, you're gonna be left. So there's a real disconnect here, Right? So let's look at a little, a little bit more of what Jesus says. See if we can hear a little bit more of his heart. Luke 12, if, you're, if you've got your Bibles, we love for you to pull out your own copy of the scriptures. It's gonna be on the screen, but if you've got your own copy, it's great. There's something about reading something. Lights may be a little dim. If you've got your phone, you pull out your Bible app. That one's great too. Uh, uh, sorry, my brain just uh, exploded there. Luke 12, we're gonna be in Luke 12, starting in verse 13. And this is Jesus talking to a crowd of folks. And a guy prompts him. Someone in the crowd says, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But Jesus, he said to this man, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? I love Jesus. He makes these little Jesus-y comments sometimes. And if you, if you slow down, it, you, he usually has a point. I think in this one, he's, like, he's trying to subtly ask, how much authority are you actually giving me to speak into your life? He goes on. And then he turns from this guy and then talks to the crowd more broadly. And he says, take care and be on your guard against all types of greed for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. I think if this really happened in real life, I'd be like, wait, that guy's, that, it seems like an overreaction. I mean, that guy had a decent question. No need to overreact here. Um, and so he turned to the crowd and he told them this parable. Let's see here. Sorry, I didn't put that one on there. So he told them this parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. Try to picture him in your mind. So first century rich guy was probably a farmer. The land produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. This seems actually, I mean, this seems pretty good, right? Seems like he's got some honest gain here. This is a decent scenario. Man, his truck, his truck, his ship just came in. Where am I gonna store it all? That's a good question. Maybe I need another storage unit. And then he said, I'll do this. I will tear down my barns and I'll build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And then I'll say to my soul, soul. I love this. You ever say that to yourself, soul? I'll say to my soul, soul, you've got ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. I actually think that makes good sense, Right? Right? This is good business since this guy is basically the model American I'm gonna propose. He's worked hard. He's gotten some honest gain. He's worked hard with his hands. And then when a ship comes in, now he can store it up so that he can retire early and enjoy life. I think this is our culture's ideal scenario. 
And by default, maybe, maybe you see, see if you, this resonates with you. By default, I think we actually want to be this guy, right? I think by default, all of us want to be this guy. But Jesus flips it on his head like he often does. And he said to them, or God says to this man, fool. Oh man, anytime God is calling someone a fool, it's usually worth paying attention. Remember, God is a loving God. And so he even says this in love. Fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you've prepared, whose will they be then? And then he stops here. That, that, the, 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 the quote there is at the end. Uh, and he, and he, I think Jesus is giving his little synopsis to the crowd. And he says, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself, but isn't rich towards God. Oh, man. This one's uncomfortable, actually. <laughs> what does Jesus mean? I think this was no less disruptive to the original audience than it is to us. I mean, if we're actually paying attention, not just sitting through a sermon and letting this one bounce, this is kind of disruptive. Where did this guy go wrong? Why was he a fool? It's interesting that uh, Jesus calls him a fool and not an evil person, which Jesus at other places called people evil lovingly. He's like smiling. He's like, you know, if you then who are evil, why didn't he call this guy evil, but he called him a fool? Hmm. Why was he stupid? A few clues that I see here. Well, this guy was already rich, but we don't see him rebuked for being rich necessarily. He already had a good amount stored up. He had barns that were filled. I don't see any rebuke at that point, necessarily, maybe. But this guy's ship came in and he got more on top of already having a lot. And so he decided to keep the excess, excess too, for himself. And at least by the end, we're getting, we're getting the message from Jesus. Man, there's something wrong here. That's, this is where greed shows its ugly face. Now, greed's a powerful word that uh, is offensive. Nobody would say they're greedy, right? Nobody would say they're greedy. What does greed mean? Uh, my personal definition here, the practice belief that money and possessions will give you the good life. That's what greed is. So why did greed make this guy a fool instead of a bad guy? I think he made four foolish assumptions. Let's see if you agree. Four foolish assumptions. First of all, he assumed he was going to live a long time. That's a bad call because he was going to have a heart attack that night. He actually wasn't going to live a long time, but he thought he was. Second one, he thought this was all his stuff. And so uh, Jesus is talking to a crowd who, uh, even if they were uh, somewhat illiterate, they would have heard, been in the temple, they would have been in the synagogue all their life, and they would have heard the Old Testament, the Torah. They would have uh, heard what God thought about things, the Psalms, the Torah. And they would have known Psalm 24, like this rich guy should have known, that says, the whole earth is the Lord's and everything in it. It's all God's. Seems like this guy forgot about it. Because if, if you look back, there's a lot of my and mine and I'm going to. He thought that it was all his. Uh, but actually, uh, he thought he was the owner, but he was actually, does anyone know the opposite of an owner? It's a steward. Well, not the complete opposite, but a steward. What does a steward do? A steward uses somebody else's resources for that person's purposes, even while they take their own salary from it. But they're stewarding someone else's resources for their purposes. He forgot that he was actually a steward and not an owner. Third thing, he thought he was supposed to send it, uh, spend it all on himself. He forgot in the Old Testament, Genesis 12, three through four, that an audience would have known well too, where God says, we are blessed so that we can keep it all and have a good life and get the iPhone 13, maybe. Actually, it says, we're blessed so that we can be a blessing to others. We're supposed to be conduits of blessing. 
He forgot that one. And then the last one, he assumed that this world was his actual home. This was his spot. This is where he needs to store up stuff. So, in fact, we're just passing through this life uh, on our way to our real home. And so uh, there's an analogy that I've always loved from a book called uh, Money, Possessions, and Eternity by Randy Alcorn. If you're at all stirred by this topic, want to research more, this book has been uh, very profoundly impactful on my life. Uh, Money, Possessions, and Eternity by Randy Alcorn. I'm just going to steal this directly from him, make it my own, but I'm stealing this one. I, I just think it's super helpful. So nobody lives on an airplane, right? You're on your way to your final destination. You're in that airplane at worst for, for a number of hours. Nobody lives on an airplane. Uh, but what if you were to sit down there and the flight's taken a while? Maybe you're traveling from China. Maybe you're going to Singapore and it's taken a while and you start to think, man, this is gonna go forever. What if you start forgetting that you're on your way somewhere and uh, you get that Sky Mall magazine? Do they still have those? I haven't flown in a while. You know, Sky Mall magazine, it's got all the stuff you can buy. And uh, what if you got that Sky Mall magazine, you're flipping through and you're like, man, this, I, maybe I need some of this stuff. And, and let's say that uh, the Google drone service, delivery service is like Google, not uh, Amazon drone. It's delivering stuff in the air. Just, just follow me on this one. And you're like, you know, I'm going to be here a while. I might as well spruce this place up, get some curtains going. I mean, I didn't spend a ton of time photoshopping. I know the curtains overlap in there. That's, that's not exactly right. You get it. Maybe we're going to throw up some curtains, make this place a little bit more cozy while we're here. A piece of artwork wouldn't hurt, right? Um, well, you know, there's no, there's no flat screen in the back of this, uh, this chair behind, in front of me. So I, I'll get a flat screen, uh, enjoy uh, something that's uh, something to watch. I, I actually do need some, some more clothes, so I'm going to get those, and I'll need a chest of drawers to put them in. So if there's, a, there's nobody behind me, that'd be a great spot. Uh, what if you're like, man, this in-flight food kind of stinks, and so I, I'm going to cook my own stuff. I'm going to be here forever. So I'm going to get that, uh, that cast iron skillet and uh, sear the steak nicely on one side, flip it over and put it in the oven so you get that nice, perfectly medium rare. Uh, ribeye with the marbling. That's exactly, that's actually a great way to do it. What if, you, what if you just went crazy and you're like, man, there's a sale on mowers. I, I mean, who knows if I might need it here. And that deer head's looking sweet. So not only would you be insane, but you'd be a fool, right? This would be a foolish thing to do because you're about to get off the plane and go where you're really going. So this one's uh, a little bit funny, but you get the point. In the perspective of Jesus, the creator God of the universe who sees things really clearly. The rich farmer was like this guy. He was a fool. The fool invests heavily in the earthly treasury. You can't take it with you. So uh, he's like John Rockefeller. Anyone remember their history lesson know who John D. Rockefeller was? Lived about 100 years ago. Uh, he was uh, an oil tycoon, made standard oil, and considered by most folks to be the richest man in modern history. Uh, way more than anyone alive today. So uh, is it uh, Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos today are the top two guys. If you put both of their money together, it still wouldn't be what this guy had. He, he, uh, he had at least 400 billion in today's dollars. And famously, when, when Rockefeller died, someone had asked his lawyer, how much did he leave? And the lawyer said, all of it. Right, it's funny and I think profound. Like I, I'm, I, for some reason, I get goosebumps every time I slow down and hear that one. All of it, right? The rich man in Luke 12 left all of it too. And he was the poster child for the American dream. This is who we want to be. So what do we do with that? People living in America right now, what do we do with that today here? Surely that's not us, right? I mean, we're not rich. I mean, there's always someone richer, right? We're not rich. We're not like Rockefeller or Bezos or Musk. 
We're not like the rich guy in uh, Luke 12. And if I ever did get rich, I wouldn't do that. I would do better. Let's test that. Let's do a little test here. So there's a great website uh, called givingwhatwecan.org. You scroll to the bottom and it has this wonderful, uh, seemingly robust calculator to give you a sense of how rich you are in light of everyone in the world. So it adjusts for all the things, what country you're in, what the economy is, how many people are in your household. It adjusts for all the things. So you can just go in there and type in what you make and see where you're at. And it can be pretty eye-opening. So for today, let's use the median income for Kansans. Last numbers were 2019, so I think it's still pretty close. So the median income for a family of four, two adults, two kids, was a little shy of 60,000. It was 59,597. And so that married couple with two kids earning the median income in Kansas is in the top 8.1% of the world. They're in the richest 8% of the entire world. That's adjusted for all the things. They're earning almost eight times the global median. All right, what about an individual? Well, for an individual living in Kansas, median income is a little over 31K. They do even better. An individual making 31K median in Kansas is in the top 4.4% of the world's richest. Oh, man. So they're richer than 95.6 of everyone else in the world. Okay, what about those who are living in poverty? I mean, there are people who live in poverty around us. In, in Kansas, the stat's about 11.4%. Of Kansans live at or below the federal poverty line. All right, for 2021, household of four, poverty line is 26,500. Those folks are still in the richest 21.2% of the world. What about an individual living, living on $12,880 a year? They're still in the top 16.3% of the entire world. That's our poor. And that's adjusted for all the stuff. So when we zoom out a little bit, when we zoom out a little bit and adjust for all the things, even the poor among us are richer than most folks in the world. So we complain and fret, especially those middle incomers among us. We complain and fret when we have that car breakdown and we gotta fix it, it's the transmission or our AC goes out in our house. We complain and fret just not even realizing that the very fact that we have an AC to repair or a car to repair means we are rich compared to everyone else in the world. If you have a car and you drove here today in a car of any condition, you're actually rich. If you turned on the shower this morning and hot water came out, you're rich. If you opened your closet today and you had a few things to pick from, what were you gonna to wear today? You're rich. If you've ever been to Starbucks and bought anything, especially if it's pumpkin spiced, <laughs> tongue in cheek, you're rich. You're rich. And so we need to pause and remember, being rich isn't necessarily bad. But what's bad is being rich and not knowing it. Jesus speaks against that. You're in the danger zone if you're rich and you feel like you still need more. You're in the danger zone of greed if you're rich and you still think you need to keep more for yourself. You're in the danger zone. You've been bitten by greed and you don't know it. Greed makes you stupid. You don't know you're rich. And that's dangerous. Uh, has anyone ever been bitten by a brown recluse? Hey, I saw one hand. I'm glad you're here. I've never been bit that I know of, but I hear that the actual bite itself is nearly, if not completely painless. You don't know you're bit. 
but the venom is coursing through your body, you know, killing you from the inside. That's kind of what greed's like. You've been bitten, you don't know it. And it's coursing through your veins and it's making you stupid. Is it possible that we, we, we're actually rich? Is it possible that we're rich even if we don't feel like it? Is it possible that we're rich, but we're blinded to it because greed is coursing through our veins? Oh, greed. Is it possible that we're not only rich, but that we have come to love money? So loving money, that's the definition of greed, is looking to money to make your life happy or good. Is it possible? Greed, it comes in many forms. We've been using spectrums a lot lately. We've had a lot of these. I had to throw one of these in there. So there's a spectrum of greed, not from like less to more, but from one kind to another. There's the spender kind. Oh, here, let's do this. There's the spender kind that looks to greed or greed looks to stuff. I'm gonna use my money to buy stuff to make me happy. Yeah, that's the spender side. But there's also the saver side that looks to money to secure your life, to make you comfortable, to make you safe and secure. They look opposite, but both of them look to money for their life and more would be better. They're both sides of greed. Is it possible that we're the rich guy and we don't know it? So what do we do? I've been asking a lot of questions. Is it possible? What do we do? How do we escape from this greed thing? How do we keep from getting bit by the venom of greed, by the love of money? I don't think you can. I think there's no hope. I really actually don't think that it's, that it's possible to live in America and to not be bitten by the venom of greed at some point. It's in the air we breathe. The, 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 the picture of the spider is not dire enough. If it was, then we would, it, if, if it was like the spider bite, we could, we could stay away from where the spiders are. But I think it's in our air. It's in our water. I don't think there's any way around getting bitten by greed here. And the only hope we have is to be constantly drinking the antidote. So what's the antidote? What's the antidote to greed? It would be very nice if we knew this, right? Especially if we need to be chugging that thing constantly. What's the antidote to greed? Thank God he has actually shown us the antidote. He has shown us from his word because he's actually a loving God. A loving God that disrupts only to take away what is harmful so he can entice us to what is good especially if it actually is happier to give than receive. That would be nice to know. All right, drum roll. Hey, I did it long enough. The antidote to the venom of greed is radical generosity. Anyone feel kind of bummed out or let down? <laughs> right? Radical generosity, seriously? All right, we're gonna pass the plate. I'm just kidding. We don't pass the plate here, for, partly for that reason. A lot of baggage with that one. But the antidote to greed is radical, gracious giving, generosity. You might say gospel stewardship. In light of the good news, stewarding what is God has given you for his purposes. Radical generosity. Because of the gospel. Josh alluded to this earlier when we, when, when we prayed a little bit before this talk. Or maybe we didn't pray, when we were talking before this talk. 
The gospel is what? Who knows John 3.16? You've been to a baseball game. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave. God gave to us. He gave his one and only son so that whoever would believe in him wouldn't have to die but could have eternal life with him. It starts now. That's right. God loves by giving. He started this thing. We're wondering what the way of Jesus is. Jesus came close and he gave everything. Even though he owned everything, he gave even down to his very life. He bled out and gave himself for us so that we could be saved. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. The gospel is great news. The gospel is such good news that Jesus has come and given himself for you. So if you wanna walk in the way of Jesus, you're not being asked to follow a pathway that Jesus hasn't already trailblazed for you. You're just following him. He's a little bit ahead of you. He's asking you, follow in my way. The scriptures teach us that Jesus went to the cross for the joy set before him. That's crazy on the face of it, unless Jesus is actually smart. What if he knows something that we don't know? What if it actually is more happy to give than to receive if you zoom out and you see the way things truly are? That's right. So what do you need to do with this teaching as we come down the home stretch? What do we do? What do you do? Well, I think your first step of application here is to accept the free gift of Jesus. Maybe you've never accepted the free gift of God's forgiveness for you. Maybe you've never taken it. If that gift is free and it's being held out, even if you've come around it a lot, maybe you've been at church and the gift is still there, it's still not yours until you take it, right? Maybe you've never taken that free gift for you. If you haven't, I invite you, accept the free gift of eternal life and forgiveness through Jesus Christ who has given everything for you. Accept it. All you need to do is to tell God that you want it and that you believe in him. If you believe that Jesus really did come from God, God was coming to save you by his death on the cross and that if you would just put your trust in him, he'll save you and lead you to the good life. All you have to do is tell him that. Even in the quiet of your own heart, that's what prayer is. There's no magic words. Just tell him that. And the scriptures tell us that at that very moment, the Holy Spirit comes in and he will never leave. So if that's you, that's your next step. There's no way you're gonna be able to move on to step two unless you get step one. It's gonna be crazy. And you actually won't have the ability to do it. But if you have accepted Jesus, if you have God's spirit living in your heart, then your next step is to give generously. Yes, we're gonna come back around to that one. That is actually where this lands. Give generously, especially if you're rich. Give generously because it's good. It's even good for you. Uh, In 1 Timothy 6, Paul is trying to teach his younger protege, Timothy, who's now leading his own church. He's, He's counseling him. He's telling Timothy how he should help the rich folks in his congregation to live and to follow the way of Jesus. And as he gives these, these, uh, these directions, they're so loving. You might read this and think they're not loving. Some people, when they hear commands, they just freak out. This is so loving. Here's what Paul says to Timothy. Command those who are rich in this present world, those who are actually rich right now, not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Oh, man, it's so uncertain. That hasn't changed a bit. 
but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for, it's really important, everything for our enjoyment. God actually is all about giving us goodness. He loves you. He wants you to enjoy the good life. He richly gives us everything for our enjoyment. So command them, command the rich folks, to do good, to be rich in good deeds, doing good works, so they can be generous and willing to share. And in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves, not here, but as a firm foundation in the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Are you rich? This morning, sitting in this chair or online, sitting on your couch in your pajamas or wherever you're at, are you rich in this present world? Don't put your faith in the money you've got. Don't put your hope in your money. Trust God with your life and then use your wealth to do good. Do good with your wealth. Share and give generously so that you can invest wisely, so that you can take hold of the good life. So let the way that I'm gonna encourage you to flesh out this right now is to give to our church family. That was what you're afraid I was gonna say when we started here, right? I don't have a jet, I promise. It's a very practical application for you to give to our church family, to give to your church family. Give, that's a great place to start. The scriptures say, do good to others, especially be getting with those who are in the household of faith. This is the place we practice and start so that we can move out. Historically, um, Tallgrass Church, I mean, these are two churches that are merging. Tallgrass Church, the one I come from, has been kind of uh, like crazy in the amount of generous uh, giving that we've had. Our ethos of giving has been, I think, uncharacteristically strong for a relatively small church. I think that's been amazing. It's been incredible. So I'm excited for us to keep building on that ethic together as we move forward together. It is actually the path of joy and of happiness. So uh, practically speaking, as we move towards merging, the big, one of the real biggest crunches is gonna be financially as we move forward. I think it's doable if we take this seriously, especially if some of those newer folks who are coming around, new families, if you have not been giving or if you've been wondering, this is actually a great time as we think about what 2022 is gonna look like as we figure out merging. You can always give at the tallgrass.church slash give the Better Together Fund, like Josh said, that it right now is split evenly between the two churches until we look to have a joint budget here at the beginning of the year. So what's your next scary step of faith with giving? Uh, it's all about, there, there, there's not an amount that God is gonna be telling you to give. Well, I mean, God may be telling you to give. There's not a one size fits all. I mean, that 10% thing, that kind of comes from the Old Testament and it's even not exactly what it seems. It's a great place to start. I think especially for us in America who are rich, we can give far more than 10%. But start somewhere. If you've been giving zero, jump up. Try 10%. Try 5% if that feels crazy. Give a 50 or a 100. Start somewhere. You can always start giving more as you try, as you practice, and you don't go destitute. You can always start giving more. Take a step. It'll always feel scary at the beginning. And who knows what God might do as you take a step in giving. Malachi 3.10, God says to his people, test me in this. Are you scared to give? Test, test me in this. As you give, see what I do. See that I don't totally take care of you and just lavish you. Test me, 
So I, historically, am a saver. I am a saver type of greed. Well, maybe it was this side. That's the way I historically am. By default, I'm afraid that I won't have enough money. And I think I need more in my bank account to be safe. And yet, I don't ever know where that number is. And then I think I need more. And so I'm a, I'm, when it comes to, uh, to, to greed, my natural weakness is to be afraid and to try to keep. And so uh, for me and for Jen and I, as we've moved forward together, uh, it was a big step. I felt like uh, it was a number of years ago now that I felt like God was like, hey, actually, you are rich and you don't know it. And I'm like, I'm a poor college student. And he's like, actually, that's true. And you're rich. And the antidote to greed, the antidote to your fear is to give more. And I'm like, no, Jesus, anything but that. So we started giving 10% and we were okay. And then I felt like I was supposed to bump up to 11%, and we were okay. And a few years ago, we bumped up to 12%. I mean, these are like tiny little 1% steps. But they, and they've been scared each time, but we've been okay. And you know what? I'm actually not as scared about money anymore. It's still a weakness. I still go there, but I'm not as afraid. I'm not as afraid. Uh, so I, I've been uh, challenged to give more as an uh, antidote to my fear about money, uh, that my specific type of greed. But also, uh, Jesus has been inviting me to be prepared to give sporadically and not just in a, in a planned way. And so for me, the way that this has played out is to have money in my car and some other supplies ready so that if I see a beggar, I have something to give. In the past, I've driven by those folks every time and felt horrible, but didn't know what to do, and never wanted to stop. Are you like me ever? <laughs> Maybe they're just trying to like get money for drugs or something. This is gonna get like totally wasted. I'm gonna look like a fool. Maybe. But I felt like Jesus was intentionally telling me, this has been within the last year or two, you need to have some money in the car and you need to stop every time. And you need to lead with giving them your money. For me, it's been a hundy. <laughs> I've had to have a spare hundy in the car which doesn't feel like it's spare. But that's what Jesus has told me to do. Have a honey in the car, and when you see a beggar, you lead with that. And then you see what their name is. You ask them what their story is, and then you ask them if you can pray for them and ask Jesus to take care of them. And for me, that's been scary, but every time I've done it, it's actually felt good. My fear has gone down, and I feel like, I could even get a little teary-eyed. I feel like God has been inviting me into joy. He's been inviting me into joy. I'm so glad I have. And I know that these are like training wheel little steps here. I am not your poster child for this. But I'm taking steps. What's your next step this morning in response to this teaching? I, I want everyone in here to come away with a next step. There needs to be something that God is speaking to you. If you, uh, need, uh, if you need help identifying what that step is, look at your point of resistance in your heart. That's usually a good indicator. Who knows what God might do in and through you, even this next week, as you follow the way of Jesus with your money and possessions? What if it actually brought you joy? Not to mention others. So as the band comes up, and we've, uh, we've been ending with the Apostles' Creed and the Lord's Supper through this series, and I've loved it. And so as we move into the Apostles' Creed today, and as we stand up, uh, this is a, a, a way for us to practice trusting in God maybe with your money, believing that God is who he said he is and that you can trust him. So these are the things that we, if, even if you're struggling, use this Apostles' Creed as you recite it as a prayer, even for yourself. So will you stand with me as we uh, read the Apostles' Creed?
and then we'll transition to the Lord's Supper. All right. So it starts with, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. So now as we transition to the Lord's Supper, we're going to do this like we have uh, the last few weeks. You'll come into the middle aisles, two lines, and then you'll come back out and go to your seat. And then you'll take the bread and the juice when you get back to your seat on your own. But this morning, I want it to be a celebration. Yes, remember, but I think we also need to celebrate. Remember, it's like a birthday present that we've been given, the gospel, Jesus giving himself for us, and that's what we celebrate. And so we want to celebrate today the good news of the gospel as we take in, in a metaphorical way, we take in the body of Christ and the blood of Christ and remember that it's been given for us. And then, as you get back to your seat, my challenge to you today is that you keep your eyes open. Don't just talk to Jesus alone. I want you to keep your eyes open and remember that all of us are here and that we are the body of Christ as we celebrate. Will you lead us? And you can go ahead and come down the middle aisles and then fan out to the side. This teaching was recorded in partnership between Tallgrass Community Church and The Well. For more resources like this, visit tallgrass.church and thewellmhk.com.